The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Monday the 14th of August. I'm Tim Spears and today we're asking... How did Chelsea win the battle for Moises Caicedo? An agreement reached on a deal worth £115 million. The add-ons included in that are pretty achievable. Is Kylian Mbappe staying at PSG? Sunday morning came the PSG statement that he'd returned to the first-team group and returned to training. And is Munich going mad for Harry Kane? It was amazing how quickly the streets were so populated with Kane's shirt number and his name. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Tim Spears. Moises Caicedo is expected to today become the most expensive player in British football history after Chelsea finally struck a deal to sign the Brighton midfielder late on Sunday night. The Blues will pay £115 million, that's $146 million, for the 21-year-old and if the move goes through it will break the record set when Benfica midfielder Enzo Fernandez left Benfica for, well, also Chelsea in January this year. Liverpool had hoped to hijack the deal and agreed a £110 million fee with Brighton last week, but the player's preference was Chelsea, and the Ecuador international, who has played just 45 times in the Premier League, is set to sign an eight-year contract with the option of a ninth year. Brighton have also inserted a sell-on clause into the deal. David Alstein reported on this deal late last night, and he joins us now. David, this has been a transfer tug-of-war, but it seemed Caicedo always had his heart set on Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that was a key factor in this, because Chelsea have been pursuing Moises Caicedo for a long time, dating back to January when they made an offer for him. Uh, they had a number of bids made and rejected, and seemed they were struggling to get towards the asking price of Brighton, but it was always fairly well known that Caicedo's preference would be Chelsea. However, out of the blue, Liverpool then came into the mix and had an offer accepted, £111 million, which would have been a new British record transfer. And Brighton seemed very happy to do business with them, but it all rested on Caicedo actually agreeing to make the move. And Caicedo communicated to Liverpool very clearly that he wanted to join Chelsea and respectfully declined the opportunity to join Liverpool. It was then about Chelsea managing to reach an agreement with Brighton. They would have had to at least match and most likely significantly better the offer of Liverpool. And so very swiftly afterwards, um, we heard of resolution, an agreement reached on a deal worth £115 million. The add-ons included in that are pretty achievable from what we hear. Two-thirds of them performance-related, one-third of them is based on European qualification. There's a sell-on clause that's quite significant to Brighton as well. It's an eight-year contract with the option of a ninth. He'll undergo a medical that has been scheduled for Monday and that is the day when Chelsea are expected to complete the signing of Moises Caicedo. I mean the fee is astronomical but Chelsea's spending continues. In US dollars that's more than one billion in transfer fees since Todd Bowley took over last summer. It's jaw-dropping to the outside world how much Chelsea have spent under their new ownership and there's more to come because Chelsea in this window alone would still like to sign 
a wide player. They like Michael Elise from Crystal Palace. There are other options too. They want to potentially bring in a striker for more goals. They want a backup goalkeeper to Robert Sanchez with Kepa joining Real Madrid. At the same time, I think we need to appreciate that they've done a lot of outgoing business. Chelsea have the opportunity to raise further funds to help somewhat mitigate the spending, but there's no disguising that the spending has been exorbitant, eye-watering. There'll be many questioning how it does comply with financial fair play rules in the Premier League. Of course, Chelsea already are under scrutiny for the previous regime's alleged breaches of financial fair play. Mind-blowing, not only in terms of the value of the transfer fees, but also in terms of the number of actual deals, the club, the team, the squad are unrecognisable to what they were not so long ago. And where does this leave Liverpool? Very much still in need of a midfielder. It will be a blow to Liverpool. However, I don't think they were ever considered front runners outside of the club or internally. They were realistic about this. So while disappointing, they will move on and target the player that they were seemingly going for as a priority before, Romeo Lavia of Southampton. They had bids rejected and were, are expected to come back in. Let's see how Lavia reacts to Liverpool seemingly targeting him as a priority and then pivoting to Caicedo. But I think Liverpool and their recruitment operation has shown over the years its quality. So this will be a test of their abilities. But there's still time in the transfer window for Liverpool to strengthen that midfield. They especially need this holding midfielder. You could see that. I do expect some more activity at Anfield before the transfer deadline. And for more on Caicedo and how he'll fit into Chelsea's midfield after their one-all draw with Liverpool on the opening weekend, check out Nick Miller's new weekly column for The Athletic, which launches today. A draw between Chelsea and Liverpool may have been entirely predictable, they've drawn their last seven games in a row, but Paris Saint-Germain drawing nil-nil with Lorient on the first weekend of the French league season was far less likely. That said, PSG were without Kylian Mbappe, plus Neymar who is rumoured to be in discussions over a move to Saudi Arabia, and of course in the summer they lost some bloke called Messi. It looked for all the world that Mbappe would be following Messi at the PSG exit door when he was put up for sale last month and began training away from the first team. He was also the subject of a world record transfer bid from Al-Hilal, but it seems that PSG and Mbappe are now friends again. He was pictured smiling in the stands on Saturday nights, he's returned to training and he might now stay after all. Here to try and explain all that is our PSG man Peter Rutzler, who wrote about the latest on the Mbappe situation, along with Adam Crafton and Mario Cortinaga at the weekend. Peter, what on earth is going on here? Can you try and explain it for us? How long have you got, mate? Okay, so the headline is that Mbappe is back in training, as you said. He's out the loft, he's out the bomb squad, he's with Luis Enrique's main group. How did this happen? According to the club, positive and constructive talks over the weekend. As we've been documenting, it's been frosty for a while. We've had the contract standoff where Kylian Mbappe wanted to stay for the final year of his contract, chose not to renew his contract, which for PSG is a bit of a problem because they don't want to lose him on a free transfer. So they put him up for sale into the bomb squad, didn't go to Japan and South Korea for the preseason tour. And then that continued this week as well with when the, the squad came back. Uh, Mbappe continued to train separately. Uh, coming into this weekend, he wasn't included in the matchday squad. So it looked like things were carrying on. And then Saturday night, first game of the season, 
uh, Mbappe is at the Parc de Prance. So we saw images of him in the stands with Usman Dembele, with his family. It looks symbolic. Whether it would be a complete ending of hostilities, it looked like, oh, something may have changed. And as it transpired, it was. As we reported uh, on Sunday night, Mbappe met uh, Nassau Khalifi before the game, the club president, uh, and then also had another meeting after the game with, with Luis Enrique and Luis Campos. Uh, and then uh, Sunday morning came the PSG statement that he'd returned to the first team group and returned to training. So the key thing from this is that Mbappe is staying for the season. Okay, so does this mean he's going to stay long term or maybe renew his contract? Or is there a chance here that PSG play him this season in the team but still lose him for free next summer? Yeah, so that's the unanswered question right now. That's the key thing. What's actually changed to bring Mbappe back into the picture? What's what's the difference? Has someone blinked? Is Mbappe going to renew his contract now? Or will PSG still lose him for no money, but they've capitulated, essentially? The reality is, and what it sounds like from, from those we speak to, is that they're trying to find a workaround for all parties. So the talks are resuming in a positive direction. And PSG say there are various options. You know, one option that was mooted was some kind of release clause that would allow Mbappe to leave if he extended. Another option is that he won't receive... Uh, his quite substantial loyalty bonus. So PSG, of course, don't want to lose him for free. So by not paying the loyalty bonus, I suppose there's a there's a financial element there. You know, there's a way of of recouping some some money, and of course that would allow potentially for Mbappe not to necessarily renew his contract. So maybe a, a workaround that suits all parties. The financial picture has changed a little bit because Neymar and Marco Verratti may go to Saudi Arabia. They may leave. Um, so that's quite a big weight off the wage bill. The issue for PSG is about financial fair play. That's why they want the fee for Mbappe. Mbappe's contract at the moment is huge. That's why they want something in return. So some kind of compromise there might 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 be a way forward. It was Mbappe possibly going to Saudi Arabia a few weeks ago. Now maybe Neymar. I mean, is that real? Could that actually happen? Yeah, so there has been a development with Neymar, you know, we reported earlier in the summer that he had a big offer from Saudi Arabia. That was from Al Halal. They have returned with another proposal. Looks like this one appeals to the player. Obviously, PSG would be open to a sale. Speaking of that financial context, which is affecting Mbappe, it does feel like there's an element that these could be tied. But yeah, let's see. Let's see if this progresses. The noises are that it that it may well do so. So uh, this could be a, a way out. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Now, one striker who has made a big money move this window is, of course, Harry Kane, who said guten tag to Bayern Munich on Saturday morning and then Auf Wiedersehen to his dream of winning a very early trophy with his new club on Saturday night, with Bayern surprisingly losing 3-0 to RB Leipzig in the German Super Cup. Kane made his debut as a second-half substitute to a huge ovation from the Bayern supporters, but barely touched the ball in what certainly wasn't a dream debut. The most expensive player in German football history was then unveiled to the media on Sunday, where he spoke of competing for titles, taking German lessons twice a week, and a roller coaster transfer from his beloved Spurs. Seb Stafford-Bloor has followed Kane around all weekend in Munich, and he joins us now. Seb, what stood out from Kane's press conference? I'm not sure that an awful lot stood out. I think these occasions are just things to get through. What did strike me, though, was that there was a kind of a palpable relief to Kane's demeanour. I think um, we've obviously sort of focused on the 
the situation between Bayern Munich and Tottenham. But it's worth remembering that this was the first transfer of his career, and and clearly the stress of it, and the back and forth of it, and um, what he described as the kind of the the roller coaster of emotions, particularly over the last sort of forty eight hours, has clearly taken its toll. And he seemed relaxed. I mean, it was it was quite a formal occasion, given how much attention he was he was the focus of. He, he did very very well, and he he seemed to just be looking forward to settling back into life. He he talked a little bit about um, the sort of more mundane aspects of moving countries so finding schools and property and you know finding the lay of the land in the city and uh, it just came across that I, I think he was just relieved that it was all over and it was finally complete so can you give us a flavor of the reaction in munich to kane joining i was actually surprised by some of the enthusiasm obviously when you you complete a transfer of that size new german record new buy munich record there's going to be a certain amount of popularity almost by default but what was interesting is that the obviously the deal was completed and announced early on Saturday morning. And it was announced just after the uh, Bayern club shops in the city centre were were opened. And it was amazing how quickly the streets were sort of populated with Kane's shirt number and his name um, and how many people by the time of kickoff, which was, which remember, it was only about sort of eight hours, were actually wearing his shirt. And there was some real, real energy around the place. It clearly didn't go well on the field on Saturday. Any concerns here for Bayern, or is it just an off day? No, not just an off night, I don't think, because these are the themes and weaknesses we've seen in Bayern Munich before. I remember last season, the problem with them wasn't necessarily the amount of goals they scored, it was what they let in and how vulnerable they were in normal defensive uh, structures, but also in transition. And the ease with which Leipzig ripped through them and you know how easily they were able to stitch phases together. Tickle was very, very angry after the game. The new La Liga season also started at the weekend. Jude Bellingham scored on his Real Madrid debut as they won 2-0 at Athletic Bilbao, but Barcelona only drew 0-0 at Getafe in an ill-tempered game which saw Rafinha and Barca boss Xavi sent off. In the Premier League, Arsenal beat Nottingham Forest 2-1, while Newcastle hammered Aston Villa 5-1. And in the Women's World Cup, England and Australia both won tight quarter-final matches against Colombia and France respectively. They'll meet in the semi-finals on Wednesday. As for tonight, Manchester United take on Wolverhampton Wanderers and their new manager Gary O'Neill at Old Trafford, which kicks off at 8pm on Sky in the UK or 3pm Eastern Time on the USA Network. You can also see Atletico Madrid begin their La Liga campaign against Granada at 8.30pm on Sky in the UK or 3.30pm Eastern Time on ESPN+. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I've been Tim Spears. Your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. If it's your first listen, welcome and thanks for tuning in. Do subscribe if you like and drop us a review. If you're already an avid listener, spread the word. I'll be back here tomorrow. See you in the morning. The Athletic.